Hey everybody, welcome to Subject to Interpretation. My name is Gabriela Vialba and I am the Creative Media Director here at Delamora Institute and I would personally like to thank you for tuning in. This is our space for professionals and friends in and out of the field to discuss topics that are relevant to interpreters. We pride ourselves in being one of the very few podcasts for professional interpreters out there. So I hope you benefit from today's episode, find some inspiration, maybe learn something new, and simply enjoy. Welcome to Subject to Interpretation. Happy Friday. This is Gabby here and with me I have Kayla. Hello everybody. So today we have a very special interview, our final interview actually, with one of the ConvTI presenters. So right, so this week we have Bruna Marchi. She's a lawyer and a professor with a graduate degree in conference interpreting. She is the um, founding partner of Desconficando o Inglés Jurídico where she teaches legal English and comparative law, organizes events, and gives lectures on the subject. So before we jump into that, I want to go ahead and have Kayla play a game with us. So this is kind of a trivia style, testing my language skills. <laughs> yes. This game is going to be all about legal terminology. Um, as you know, as we always say, just because you are bilingual um, doesn't mean that you know all the words in the Spanish language and how to say them, especially in legal terminology when you're getting started in the field. Um, you may not have the knowledge um, exactly what an acquittal is, for example. Um, so that's what we're going to be going through is just testing testing out um, someone who is not an interpreter and someone who um, also speaks a second language um, to see if it is that easy or maybe it's not. <laughs> yeah, this will kind of show like, can any bilingual person be an interpreter or am I just not meant to be? <laughs> we'll see. Maybe I have a hidden talent. <laughs> but it's fine. And you guys play along with us. I'm sure you've heard most of these words um, already. And also, well, I guess we should say that we don't have a free dictionary the glossary. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, the end of the game. Okay. Okay, so yeah, let's get started. <laughs> okay, I'm nervous. <laughs> so starting with our first word is acquittal, and the definition is a jury verdict that a criminal defendant is not guilty or finding of a judge that the evidence is that the evidence is insignificant to support a conviction. Okay. So A Looks like my options here are A, absolución, and B, exoneración, if I'm pronouncing it right. <laughs> okay, um, oh geez. I think I'm going to go with A, absolución. And you are correct! Yes! <laughs> oh my gosh! Good job, guys! <laughs> Moving on to word number two, affidavit. A written or printed statement made under oath. Okay, so our two options are A, sen sentencia absolutoria, or B, declaración jurada. I'm gonna say A, sentencia absolutoria. Alrighty, um, so you are close. Oh no, <laughs> that's actually um, for a synonym to affidavit, um, but the actual translation um, was declaration. I can't see that. Who, uh, who, uh, who, uh, <laughs> but the real 
answer is B. <laughs> Decoración jurada. <laughs> um, so number three, collateral. Um, so property that is promised as security um, for the satisfaction of a debt. Okay. So we have A, la garantía, or B, la seguridad. I'm gonna go with B, la seguridad. I mean security. So I'm thinking like a security deposit kind of thing. Yeah, so actually that's what that means. B is actually the definition for the security. Oh. Yeah. So um, but to say collateral in the way that um, it's being used um, in, as, as a legal term um, would be choice A. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Ooh, you stumped me in the last <laughs> two questions. Oh, yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> All right, so number four, we're almost wrapping this up. Um, the next one is injunction. A court order preventing one or more named parties from taking some action. Um, a, a preliminary injunction often is issued to allow fact-finding so a judge can determine whether a permanent injunction is justified. Okay. So we have A, el mandato, or B, el pedido. Oh, geez. An injunction not to issue to allow. I'm gonna say mandato. You're right. You Yay! are correct. <laughs> awesome. Yay! Getting better. Good guys. one. Yeah. And then the last one um, is sanction, um, a penalty or other type of enforcement used to bring about compliance with the law or with the rules and regulations. All right. So A is la aprobación, B is la sanción. I feel like B is like a little bit too easy. Like it's it's too obvious. It's there's something there's something underlying there. I'm going to go with A, la aprobación. Well, the answer was B. Oh no, <laughs> you tricked me. Yeah, that was the whole point. <laughs> To see, um, because yeah, most of the words honestly they didn't sound like the English version of the word, mm -hmm. um, except for that one. That was one of the first ones I found that actually, um, the Spanish version and the English word sounds very very similar. Um, but you did a good job. How many did you get? You got three out of five. Yay! I can be an interpreter. <laughs> <laughs> but there are so many other words. We have actually a whole glossary of them available on our website for free download. So if you guys after listening to this want to see some more terminology, we do have that available for Spanish and language neutral. Um, so please make sure to go to our website and download that since it is something, a free resource available for you. I'm going to do that. I need to study. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, thank you, Kayla, for challenging me. I feel like I learned a lot just in that. I mean, interpreting in a legal system can be very funny like that. You, you hear a lot of words that are just everyday and they're not quite everyday in the courtroom. Mm -hmm. It's a little different. So thank you so much for that. Super fun. And let's see. So next, I just want to go ahead and talk a little bit about some things that we have coming up. But as you know, we have our two conferences coming up. We have CONVTI, which um, Bruna is a speaker at. So we did this for you. Her presentation is going to be on legal terminology. And um, she's really not interesting because she is a lawyer. She calls herself a lawyer linguist, which I think is really neat. And um, she has a lot of knowledge about, you know, how this works with these words. And there's a way with words. <laughs> she, has a, she has a way with words, exactly. 
So it's going to be super interesting. And um, we did this in Spanish because, for one, I speak a little bit of Spanish. Not totally fluent, but that's not the main reason. The main reason is we wanted to give you a little sneak peek of ConVTI. It's actually going to be aired in three different languages. Yes. Um, through the Kudo platform, we will be able to have not only um, English, but also Spanish and Portuguese live simultaneous interpreting going on. Um, so no matter where you are, you will be able to listen to it in your target language if you'd like or for someone like me i personally will try and listen to it in spanish to see if i can learn a little bit more yeah that would be really neat so yes and then we have a really we have a special going on right now for convti and it's our referral special so what is that kayla Yes, um, so if you tuned in for our live Q&A, which took place on Wednesday of this week, our final live Q&A, um, you would have learned a little bit more about GEO, a little more about what's coming up um, for ConVTI in the future, and also about our referral special. If you head over to the ConVTI Facebook page, you will notice that there's a post there with all the instructions on how to enter. All you have to do is tag one person that you think would be interested um, in any of our conferences, and both you and the person tagged will receive a discount code for 10% off of the tickets for our conference this year. Ooh, 10%. Take advantage of that. You have to bring a uh, discount buddy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. We'll call them. Perfect. Okay. So, of course, we have that. We have Finding the Parallels. We talked a little bit about it last week. We have our free open reception. It's open to the public. Bring your friends. And there will be free snacks. And you'll get to meet a lot of our instructors, a lot of our educators, leaders in the field, and ask them questions right there and then. In addition to that, we have our last FCICE oral prep course. It's beginning on November 11th. It's a big deal, especially if you are looking to become a federally certified court interpreter. This is a great opportunity. We have a great instructor, Anna Torovrainer. She has been taking over our FCICE courses and she's been doing a wonderful job. So if you want to learn how to pass, if you want to get gain those skills, then I would definitely take that class and you can find more information about that in the description as well as all the other stuff we've been discussing yes yes and anna will also be um, a part of our um free welcome reception um doing a panel with us and also one of our senior fcice instructors Caddy kaufman as well will be joining us wow. um so yeah you guys will definitely should stay tuned. We will have it um, on Facebook Live as well if you're not able to fly out and join us here in Orlando. Um, still be sure to try and log in and check that out. Yeah, so every class I talk about, um, like I've spoken about in the last few, however long I've been doing this podcast, <laughs> you will get to meet them at Finding the Parallels. So definitely join them. Like Kayla said, from online is fine too. So that's all we have for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed this really fascinating interview with Luna Marchi, going over her story about how she came to be where she is today. And thank you so much for listening. And again, I hope you have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of our podcast, Subject to Interpretation, the Lamora Institute's way to communicate and share with you all the information and the commentary and the stories of interpreters in our field, both as translators, interpreters, and in different modalities like conference and legal interpretation. Today, we're super, super 
uh, happy and lucky to have Bruna Marchi with us. She's an attorney. She lives in Brazil. She's in Brazil right now. So instead of me giving an intro, how about I pass you the microphone, Bruna, and you tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thank you very much, Augustine, for this opportunity. Um, so yes, I'm a lawyer. Um, I live in Brazil. Uh, I'm also an interpreter. People usually think that I'm a translator a re that uh, translates a written text, but I'm not. I'm uh, actually an interpreter here. Um, well, <clears throat> my trajectory is kind of uh, funny because Nowadays, I have a company called Descomplicando Inglês Jurídico, something like Uncomplicating Legal English. Um, and I always tell people that I have joined two things that I really love doing, which is learning languages and teaching languages, English in my case, and also the law. Um, when I started law school back in 2001, um, no, I mean, uh, no one really uh, studied English because we thought in law school, well, I'm going to be a lawyer in Brazil. Why would I have to know another language, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and things have changed a lot. So I started law school here in Sao Paulo State in Brazil. And then um, I already spoke English and then I started teaching English, you know, to have some money to go out with friends, etc. Uh, but I never thought it would be my career. So um, I studied law and I taught English, but I never, ever imagined I could join uh, them both. Um, and then when I was uh, in the third year of law school, law school in Brazil lasts five years. So uh, just to, for you to know. Is this five was, years? I'm sorry, it's five years after you finish what we would call here high school? Exactly. So mm -hmm. we don't have to go to a graduate course and then enroll in law school. So we finish mm -hmm. high school and then we go straight to law school that lasts for five years. So I finished my third year and I decided to spend some time in the U.S. to, you know, to improve my English and etc. And then I stayed uh, and then I lived in New Jersey for a year, came back to Brazil, finished law school, passed the bar here. And then I decided to live in London for some time. So I lived in London for two years. Uh, so um, I... I've uh, been a, a, an intern uh, while I was in law school, but I've never worked as a lawyer, as an attorney, because I say to people and to my students that I have the, I mean, uh, I love to study the law, but not to practice the law, you know, <laughs> so I get the greatest part of it, yeah. which yeah. is to read and to study and to teach people. Well, and then after 15 plus years of uh, teaching general English, business English, I thought to myself, okay, I would, you know, I don't feel that I want to be a lawyer to practice the law, but I love studying that. And I've been a teacher for so many years. Why don't I start teaching legal English to lawyers and translators? Mm -hmm. So I started uh, studying this field and actually in Brazil, I mean, there was nothing, there wasn't a course, there, a, a specialized course, there wasn't 
uh, a book, a specific book. So I started studying here and then digging there and watching videos and reading uh, articles. And then I started with my first student who was a lawyer. And I remember to this day that in, my in our first classes, I was so nervous and I was like, <laughs> what if he asks me something i don't know it will right. be like i will be you know ashamed mm -hmm. and everything and then um in the beginning it was a bat in the sense that i didn't know how many people out there would like or would need to study legal english right i thought mm, okay a few translators a few lawyers but uh, it turned out after a few months actually that uh, the market is huge in Brazil. Yes. Um, and what happens is here in Brazil, we do have some trans, some legal translating courses, mm -hmm. but not legal English courses. What, what is the difference? Um, first, the most teachers that teach uh, legal English translation, they do, do not have a legal background. Yes. So it makes a huge difference. Of and course. number two, uh, here at Descomplicando English Jurídico, we teach the basics of law, you know, the law in Brazil, the law in the States, and then we go to the translation part. Um, so it's a more comprehensive understanding of legal translation or le and legal interpretation. Um, and, and I make... Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, and I make sure that all the uh, teachers that I hire uh, have a legal background. So they are all lawyers and they are all translators also. So um, after six months, I had to hire a, 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 a tutor. And then after a few more months, I had to hire two more. So nowadays we are four tutors and uh, we have this background and well, the market is huge, uh, and in Brazil, there aren't so many, you know, uh, specialized companies and schools like Descomplicando. Right, and so you consider your business is a school, just like us. Do you do most yes. of your teaching yes. online, or do you do live courses, or both? Well, we do both. So mm -hmm. we are a company that teaches legal English uh, and legal Spanish also and legal Portuguese, which is, you know, I'm going to, I'm starting to create a course on legal Portuguese. So any translator that translates from Portuguese into any other language will be able to take the course. Um, so basically we have this course for translators and lawyers. Um, we have classes on Zoom. Our, mm -hmm. uh, the platform Zoom, yeah. uh, once a week for an hour. And if um, um, a law firm, for example, requires face-to-face uh, -face classes, we also offer, offer that. And every year since last year, we have been organizing uh, a symposium on legal translation and interpretation, the only uh, specialized symposium in Brazil for legal translation and interpretation, which is called direct. And uh, so it is a mix between uh, online uh, talks and then face-to-face uh, -face workshops. So we did that uh, last month, yes. 
uh, and it was pretty successful. And uh, so, yeah, that's what we do. We teach online, we teach face-to-face, -face, we teach uh, quick courses and courses that last for a year. Pretty much that. Well, that's very good. And, you know, let me back up a little bit because I know that you have, for instance, you have a degree in certification or a, a degree in conference interpretation. Is that a degree that you got in Brazil or where did you Yes, it is a degree that I got in Brazil at the Catholic University of Sao Paulo. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the course uh, doesn't exist anymore. They just, you know, they didn't open uh, new uh, classes. But uh, anyway, um, it was a two-year intensive course. Um, so I became uh, an interpreter. Uh, it didn't have translation subjects, just interpretation subjects. So it, it was very specific. And I fell in love with interpretation. It is, you know, yeah. I'm a very active person and I love to study and I love to learn. So... Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a I little bit... It's a little bit addicting to, to, to discover interpretation. And, and I have a lot of questions to ask you, but one of them is when, from what you tell me originally, when you were a kid, it's not like you were thinking, oh, I'm gonna be an interpreter. That kind of happened later for you, right? Yes, I mean, when I was a kid, I didn't even know that interpreters existed, you know? <laughs> That's right. And That's right. it was funny because I, I came back from London and I moved to Sao Paulo, the capital, Mm -hmm. um, and then I started working for Berlitz, um, yeah. worldwide known uh, English school or language school. And then there was a teacher there, Sonia, I remember her to this day, of course. And she told me, Bruna, well, um, by your personality, like you're, very, you're a very active person, you like to study, you like uh, English, etc. Um, you know, I'm taking this interpretation course at PUC the, the mm -hmm. Catholic University of Sao Paulo, why don't you go there with me and, you know, just uh, watch a class with me. And then I was like, interpretation, what, what are you talking <laughs> what about? Is what is it? And then she explained, she explained to me a little bit and then I went there and then I fell in love with, uh, with interpretation. And then the following semester, I started my course. And uh, it's funny because she didn't have the opportunity to finish the course. But I did. But you did. Um, mm -hmm. And now, yes, I'm, I'm an interpreter. Very funny. I, yeah. you know, I was a Berlitz teacher myself. Mm. <laughs> and uh, while I was in the United States, one of my students was an attorney who asked me to do a deposition. Well, she asked my, my boss first <laughs> if I could do a deposition. And again, for me, it was, I had been an interpreter many years, but only as my mother's interpreter or my cousin <laughs> who came to visit, right? I didn't know that you actually get paid to do these things. Uh -huh. And, but I also discovered, I, I, I think it was, it was an interesting uh, discovery for me because I went to do this interpretation, this uh, deposition, and I discovered two things. I had no idea how to interpret mm -hmm. and that it was a lot of fun and, and very challenging. And mm -hmm. I always talk about the first, lesson I learned was taught to me by that attorney because as soon as I answered the first question and I started saying she says mm. her sister and her and the attorney asked me well can you please speak in the first person because now I don't know who's she who's her who's the other she where are we so that was my first lesson but just like you I kind of fall in, fell in love with interpretation 
specifically legal interpretation. And mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that happens a lot, I think you probably have heard it more than once, is that the attorney told me I did a very good job, mm -hmm. except she didn't speak Spanish. So I don't know how she knew that I did a good job, but I <laughs> Uh, but that happens a lot. She said, you did a good job. You should go to the courts and mm -hmm. apply there to be an interpreter because they need interpreters desperately. Mm -hmm. And what opened the door for me, funny enough, was that the guy that was interviewing me, when I told him I was a Berlitz teacher, he told me, oh, that's, those are very good. Those were her words. Those mm -hmm. are very good. So boom. And I started learning about legal interpretation. And the first thing that I learned is that, again, I didn't know much about it and that there was a process to get certified as a court interpreter. And I started pursuing that. So are, is there a certification for court interpreters in Brazil or any kind of certification for any kind of interpretation? No, there isn't. Um, and court interpretation in Brazil is not as big as in the US. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I've, uh, uh, I've been an interpreter, but I ne I've never been to a court to interpret, to mm -hmm. interpret. So I know that uh, in Sao Paulo, for example, at the airport, Mm -hmm. uh, at the International Airport of Sao Paulo. Um, since there are cases of people trafficking drugs, yep. so these people are taken at the airport and, uh, are, are, sorry, are caught at the airport and taken to the court. Um, and then I know that there's uh, a lot of uh, things going on for, in, uh, for uh, court interpreters there. But other than that, in Brazil, there's, you know, this field is not so big and we do not have any kind of certification. Um, the private sector for legal interpretation isn't, I mean, specifically legal interpretation isn't uh, very big uh, either. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, uh, oh, well, I'll just interpret uh, legal events and I'll make, uh, you know, a living out of mm -hmm. it. I mean, it's not possible. The thing is, uh, there's a lot of medical interpretation in Brazil, so that's a mm -hmm. big field. But the point is, um, legal language, legal Portuguese, legal English is part of our uh, everyday life now. So it's not a surprise that in the middle of an event, uh, I don't know, talking about economics or uh, financial businesses or whatever, startups, whatever, marketing, um, it's not a surprise that someone introduces uh, a topic, a legal topic, you know, so of course. Uh, in my opinion, uh, interpreters, uh, translators as well, of course, but uh, if you're translating uh, a written text, you have time to uh, do your research, etc. But mm -hmm. especially for interpreters, um, in my opinion, and from my experience, getting to know a little bit of law from your uh, country and uh, the legal systems uh, around the world, you know, a little bit of it, it is very, I mean, it's necessary. Yes, um, very useful. And uh, speaking about that, obviously, or not obviously, I would like to know mm -hmm. if the legal systems in Brazil and the United States are different from each other. Uh, because uh, the legal system from Mexico, where I come from, and the U.S. for many years were totally different because mm -hmm. the legal Mexican system was based on code. It was code-based and Roman law, mm -hmm. where the English one, as you know, is English law and common law. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and for instance, the concept of a jury trial was unknown in Mexico. And to this day, there are no jury trials, but now we have trials that are similar to the US trials in the mm -hmm. way they're conducted. In the past, they used to be all in written form. People would present motions in written form, wait for the judge to answer, then present the next motion, the answer to the first motion, et cetera. It was all done by paper. Okay. It lasted forever and a day, and it was very inefficient. And lately, more and more states in the, in, in the country have been adopting a system that is pretty similar to the U.S. system, which is adversarial with oral uh, communication and oral debate. Mm -hmm. it, how is it in Brazil? Well, interesting. I didn't know that about Mexico. Um, well, in Brazil, we apply a civil uh, law system uh, like in Mexico. Um, I would say that it, our legal system is very different from the uh, U.S. legal system. Uh, for example, you talked about jury trials. I didn't know that you guys didn't have jury trials uh, in the past in Mexico either. Um, so. People see on uh, TV and uh, in documentaries, whatever. Uh, so in the US, there's a jury trial for almost every kind of case, right? So yeah. civil cases, criminal cases. In Brazil, mm -hmm. we have jury trials only for criminal cases, but mm -hmm. not all of them. Only when a person uh, tries or kills another person on purpose. Let's mm -hmm. uh, use simple words here. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that in the U.S., the system of having or this custom of having jury trials for almost everything um, is getting uh, is being criticized because it takes a lot of time, a long time, and it takes a lot of money to gather people, and they sit there for hours and days and weeks, etc. So this is a big difference. Another big difference is precedence. Um, Precedents in Brazil are not binding, which means that a judge uh, educating a case uh, may uh, follow a precedent, but he or she doesn't have to follow that precedent. While in the United States, once there's a precedent, uh, lower courts uh, have to uh, follow this precedent, right? So in the US, right. you could say that precedent is binding. Um, another aspect that you've mentioned uh, are the oral and written aspect. I feel that uh, in the U.S. procedures are more oral. They tend to be more oral than yeah. in Brazil, but here we have a mix. So we have written motions, but our oral procedures too. And uh, finally, I see... Um, the common law system getting closer to the civil law system and the opposite. I'll give you two examples. In the US, for example, we have more and more written legislation, which is a civil law characteristic, right? So we have uh, codes, written codes and written le legislation, etc. On the other hand, in Brazil, the car wash operation brought something uh, brand new to our legal system, uh, which is the, the delação premiada, we call here in Brazil, uh, plea bargain, 
Um, it didn't exist here in Brazil, and we've been using that with the car wash operation for a few years now. And uh, the point is, this is the plea bargain is a common law system-based concept that we have adopted. And right now, there's um, a discussion in our highest court about the procedure of the plea bargain in Brazil, whatever. So, you know, I, I feel and I see uh, the civil our civil law system going uh, and getting closer to their common law system and the opposite. And um, I could say that, I don't know, in the next 40, 50 years, there will be a third mixed system, you know. Um, a hybrid what, of some kind. A hybrid system, exactly, exactly. A third hybrid system of some kind, exactly. Now, you mentioned the car wash. Mm -hmm. What the, There might be many people here, including myself, that I, we don't understand exactly what you mean by the car wash. Oh, great. Thank you for asking me. Mm -hmm. So we have here, we've been dealing here in Brazil for uh, four or five years, maybe, with uh, a big legal operation called Operation Car Wash. That's the name of the operation. Uh, based, well, uh, it, it is a big operation, but I'll be um, simple here. Uh, basically, a lot of uh, people, a lot of employees of our oil company, Petrobras, they, ex they, how can I say, they paid money, and a lot of candidates too, they paid money to private companies mm -hmm. in order for the private companies uh, uh, to, to give them the money back, you know? So let me give you an example. Our ex-president Lula is in jail right now, and he has been charged with the crime of um so okay let me add it here again because it's so complicated that i have to put it in simple words let's start again so our president our former president lula is in jail right now and he has been charged with a lot of crimes and uh because uh, so he went to jail because a private company was charged of being responsible for renovating uh, one of his houses, but it, it, the house was not in his name, you know, you know what I mean? So uh, the police and the, the, the judge <clears throat> thought there was a crime there. Mm -hmm. And, but basically the operation car wash is a big operation on corruption. So there was a mm -hmm. lot of corruption in Brazil, billions and billions of dollars. Uh, were drained into this system of bribes, you know, uh, between politicians and private companies. So private companies giving money to politicians win the elections. So once the politicians won the elections, they gave a lot of advantages, illegal advantages to these companies. So the plea bargaining is what um, made this operation, the car, op uh, the car wash operation possible because 
they, the judge said to, to the person, uh, well, if you tell me what really happened, instead mm -hmm. of staying in jail for 20 years, you'll be in jail for one year, you know, something like that. Yep. And this is a common law concept, right? Yes, and we've been dealing with that right now. Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, there was a, a famous case here in the United States, and mm -hmm. it sounds like what they call here pay to play. Mm. In other words, you contributed to the campaign or something for a politician. And if mm -hmm. they won, then you could expect your company to get certain advantages or for some of your personnel to be hired as government employees or some advantage for mm -hmm. the fact that you contributed. So uh, it's not a localized uh, concept or problem mm -hmm. but apparently you know we we have them all over the place in mexico there's been also investigations about the same kind of issue about telephonics and other industries so that's obviously a criminal case now when you train interpreters or translators or attorneys do you have a course uh, where you compare the two legal systems the similarities and differences and how to transfer because one of the things that interpreters here in this country that are uh, Portuguese speakers, Spanish speakers, Russian speakers, it doesn't matter, is that many times the systems are different. So it's kind of uh, hard to find the equivalent of one uh, specific court proceeding or a name of a crime when that doesn't exist in the other system. Like you said, uh, until recently, since there was no plea bargaining, there was no idea how to interpret it correctly. So it became more like a linguistic solution of semantics and not really illegal transfers. So do you have seminars where you try to or do uh, help interpreters and translators to navigate this difference in, in the systems? Absolutely, that's our core, you know, our core teaching system. So uh, uh, our courses are all based on uh, comparing our legal system to the US legal system. Mm -hmm. Because exactly what you said, there are concepts we have here, we don't have there, and the opposite too. So a good legal translator and interpreter, in my opinion, and uh, from my experience, is the one who's able to navigate between those systems with mm -hmm. confidence. And yes. he or she is not scared when they face like, oh, this doesn't exist here, it doesn't exist right. there, or... Right. Uh, and something very dangerous is uh, to translate concepts literally. So yes. if you have no idea that this concept does not exist, for example, in the United States, you probably will translate it um, in, a, in a literal way, right? Yes. So and yes. it, it won't work. So yeah. everything just complicando English Juridico does is based on um, comparative law. Mm -hmm. And uh, once you get that, once you get that idea, so here uh, at Descomplicando, we teach the Brazilian legal system and the American legal system. But once you get the idea, uh, you can compare our legal system to the Russian legal system or to the English legal system, et cetera, you know? So you're completely right. And uh, for, I mean, as far as I know, we're the only uh, school that teaches that instead of just, you know, giving translators a glossary and telling them translate this text based on the glossary. So, I mean, right. of course, uh, translating text is important. We also do that, but uh, 
the core uh, of our you know our school is to teach legal system uh, legal systems and one question i get asked a lot by translators is bruno do you think um a great legal translator should go to law school and then i tell them well it's not i mean it would be wonderful but it's not necessary but what is what is mandatory is that you know a little bit about about our legal system and a little bit about the other legal systems into the languages you're going to translate you know that's true um, and, and you know that brings me to an idea that maybe uh, we can uh, kind of put you on the spot right now and, and maybe you uh, would agree to teach an online course for us here uh, in our company because I think that's one of the fundamental things that we uh, don't have in the U.S. and that is the help of somebody who is knowledgeable of the law and linguistics to help our interpreters navigate those exact waters because um, if you're not a trained attorney and you don't have uh, some training in the legal uh, field or the legal realm of Brazil, for instance, then as an interpreter, you might be a doctorate in linguistics, but still the transferring of the real meaning in legal terms from one language to another could still be complicated. And uh, we would love to see if maybe we can invite you one of these days to do either a podcast or maybe not a podcast, a webinar, or maybe even a full class for us, because I think that that would be a wonderful opportunity for people to talk to somebody who actually is an attorney over there. Even if you haven't practiced law, as you said, you have all of the knowledge mm -hmm. and the background to make this transition more effective. Oh, thank you very much. I feel honored, of course. I would love to, <clears throat> to contribute. And uh, just for you to have an idea, so I have a law degree from Brazil. I speak, I've been speaking English for, I don't know, many years, half of my life. Mm -hmm. And last year, I spent my whole summer in New York taking a course at Fordham Law School um, with um, American legal uh, professors. Mm -hmm. So I went there and I studied the American legal system, you know, and uh, so, so uh, because like if you talk to a Brazilian lawyer who speaks English, who speaks advanced English, mm -hmm. he or she will not necessarily speak legal English because, right? They don't yeah. know. They don't know anything about the American the legal legal yeah. system exactly. So I have a lot of students who are attorneys in Brazil who speak good English, but we teach them what I call the language inside the language. Legal English is a language inside English, right? That's right. So yes, uh, I feel honored. And uh, this is very, very important. It's, in sure. my opinion, much more important than, you know, again, giving them a lot of glossaries and memorize this and memorize Oh yeah, I, you know, you and I agree on so many things, including the fact that I tell my students, I don't advocate for learning from glossaries at all. Mm. Uh, Hard for me to in context because if not you know i tell them you know a word by itself like joint mm -hmm. well how do you say well, joint in brazil <laughs> well tell me which joint are we talking about prison a, a joint of marijuana or or, or yeah. your your joint in your elbow so uh it, it we we agree on that and uh, i also from what i hear you saying i want to emphasize to many of our listeners that you, like many successful interpreters and translators, understand the concept that 
it's not a magic process that because you're mm. bilingual, that's it. You got it. And, you know, and I think especially here in the United States, and I'm starting to find out that maybe in other countries too, the prevalent idea is, hey, if you're bilingual, you can interpret anything. Exactly. Without any training. But from what I hear you saying, you not only did go to law school, you continue to go and keep on learning. And that's something that we want to uh, share with all of our listeners, because I think that that's one of the fallacies of our profession. Hey, I'm bilingual. I can start being a medical interpreter and a legal mm -hmm. interpreter tomorrow, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And then of course, the people who don't speak both languages might hear you and say, oh, you did a good job when you actually did it. So I exactly. think this is a conversation that we're going to have to continue and, and maybe expand because I think we would love to uh, collaborate and have, I see many synergies from your school and our school and and definitely the needs of our students uh, with the with something that you can provide us. Now, I always uh, uh, want to you know keep uh, time because I I know you have commitments too. But I wanted you to uh, share with us a little bit about you're going to be one of our presenters during our ConVTI in November. Mm -hmm. so why don't you tell us a little bit about what is it that you're going to share with the people attending this ConVTI? Sure. First of all, I thank you guys again for the invitation and Jill Lester, who is my, you know, one of my first students, my first uh, interpreter students. So thank you, Jill, for uh, inviting me. Um, so first of all, congratulations for coming up with such an idea as CanVTI. Um, it's it's going to be online, you know, it's going to be affordable. Again, you don't have you won't have to, to travel. I mean, traveling is fun, everybody agrees, but uh, you know, we don't have the money and the time to travel around the world three or four times a year to go to conferences, right? So uh, the idea of CanVTI is brilliant. So congratulations on that. So I'll be speaking uh, about legal English, of course, with um, Paula Arturo from Translating Lawyers. Mm -hmm. So I'll share my experience uh, of legal English and legal Portuguese here in Brazil in our system, and she will share her experience uh, in Argentina, their legal system, how things work there. And, um, you know, we'll talk about tricky aspects of the legal uh, language and legal systems in Brazil, in Argentina, in the U.S. So it will be a lot of fun, and I invite everyone to be at CanVTI because... It's going to be a comprehensive, uh, interesting, modern, uh, you know, and very professional conference and, and online, right? So everybody will be able to attend. Yeah, not, not always do we have the opportunity to hear people from other countries uh, share their perspective unless they travel over here. So you said it right now, the opportunity is there without even having to travel to Argentina and Brazil, even though, as you said, also, it's very much fun, but I would rather mm -hmm. go on vacation than have <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I totally agree. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. People sometimes ask me, oh, you went to this conference in such and such place. You had a lot of fun. You visited everywhere. I go, eh, actually, no, I, I spent three days in a hotel. Exactly. <laughs> from the airport to the hotel, from the That's hotel right. to the airport back home. Yeah. That's right. So this, uh, well... Again, Bruna, I really want to thank you very much for sharing your time with us. And uh, I'm going to finish this by 
one more time inviting everybody to hear our podcast and to make sure that you connect with us because as you can see, many more opportunities will be coming soon. Thank you very much, Augustine and everyone. Um, of course, I love all these opportunities. Um, we and uh, the funny thing is we both worked from Berlitz and from Berlitz we got the idea to become interpreters right so it is a good coincidence and yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, yeah and I'm, I'm always available for you guys it'll be a pleasure to be at Conviti too thank you very much all right well thank you very much and and we will see you soon see you